I'm Brittany Ashley. And I'm Laura Zach. And this is Sicker Sadder World, the podcast where we rewatch Daria and relate it to our current world. Welcome back, Laura. Welcome back to the country. Thank you so much. I was in a foreign land of Canada and it was beautiful. Everyone was incredibly friendly in Toronto, as I had been told they would be. And yeah, I had a great time. It was a truly transformative weekend. I was there for Inside Out, which is a really excellent Pixar LG... film. <laughs> and also a really excellent um, Toronto-based LGBT festival. And yeah, it was really inspiring. I saw the um, Half the Picture film. Oh, yeah. Um, my friend David, his wife was the director of that. Oh, incredible. It was really well done. It was equal parts inspiring and frustrating. I was sobbing in the middle of it. Could have been the edible. I'm <laughs> just kidding. I'll take <laughs> that out. Uh, or not, you know. But no, it, it, it was it was really, I mean, the, the film does a very compelling job of framing the um, disparity in, in women directors in the filmmaking industry at, and framing it as a civil rights issue mm. and as the result of um, discriminatory practices, either overt or covert, covert. So that's what it had to do with, like, the LGBTQ community? Yeah, I'm not sure. I think, you know, it was just relevant in general. I think whenever, I mean, what one thing they talk about in the film is that, you know, they find they've found, which for us would probably be kind of like intuitively uh, would make sense. But they find that whenever a woman is the director on a film or in other ways in a place of power or at the helm, that usually ends up um, meaning that there is more diversity across the board in the production and in the crew in terms of there being more women and more people of color um, and more queer people. So I think it was just connected to, and there was a lot of queer directors as well who were interviewed for the film, but it was really powerful. And, and even, I don't know, even some of the women directors who I'll not name, but who I'm maybe like, I think I know exactly who find problematic <laughs> or, you know, aren't perfect. Like it just kind of, even the exercise of watching the movie made me realize like, you know what, it's actually sexist to think that a woman can't be talented and an asshole. <laughs> like right. women absolutely can be, they can be, you know, like that's in... the equality. We want to be assholes too. Right. We want to have that freedom. And I also really liked how the documentary kind of unflinchingly looked at the issue around like motherhood and directing and was really honest. Like there's this incredible interview with Miranda July where you see her really oh, I st love her so much. Oh my God. You'll And she, her husband is an incredible director. Yeah, as well, Mike, Mike Mills. Mike Mills, yeah. And she talks about that, the contrast between like she and her husband, you know, are raising a child together. And obviously, as far as, you know, cis straight men, I would imagine Mike Mills to be on the more like liberal progressive of the type of husband you could have but you know comparing her experience of with their young son like when dad's on a film shoot versus like how much harder it'd be for her son if she's the one who didn't come home and tuck him in and like being really honest about that it's not the same in their case and you know then it's balanced by other women being like yeah like women have 
Like, it's not like women just relax in any industry when they have a baby. Like, they have, like, the baby on the hip and they're still going to work and still having to hustle and sometimes having more than one job. And it's not like that's any director, any different for directors. But I think, you know, there was also an acknowledgement of how completely immersive and overwhelming production is uh, when you're working on a film and and how um, how hard it is to balance that. And then also, so you like actually see Miranda July like tearing up and confronting the fact that she doesn't feel comfortable right now making a film because of her child. On the other hand, but then they talk about how like this is exactly why we need more women telling these stories because there's a whole experience of vulnerability that is not like getting portrayed into the stories we see on film because so many women are opting out, you know, and seeing it as an either or with kids. That's really interesting because this weekend I saw Tully, which is all about motherhood and it's uh, Diablo Cody's new film with Charlize Theron, who has who is pregnant with her her third child and then eventually has her child and she has to confront the fact that she needs to get a night nurse because she is so exhausted and has completely like given up her sense of self for, to be a mother. You felt like you were in her shoes in some of it and you just felt so frustrated that like she had to give up so much and and her husband is just like playing video games in bed and and there was just like this huge difference between like he there was a couple times where he had mentioned like well if you leave who's gonna watch the kids and she's like you're home like you are a parent and you Mm -hmm. act like I'm kind of like the only parent and I think that they're I mean I'm not a mother by any means there's so many plants around my apartment that I can't even keep alive yeah that one looks like it could use some some watering some water to be honest yeah but but I, I've, I've also watched so many roundtables with act, with actresses who talk about how once they have a child that they even become just so much more selective about projects that they'll take on because it has to be a project that they're willing to leave their child for for months. Mm-hmm. And it just becomes, becomes such a different experience for mothers. Yeah. God, we're such good mothers. <laughs> I know. It's really true. La, 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 la. This is my style. Got to get up, or I might fall. Excuse me. Excuse me. I've got to be direct. If I'm wrong, please Season five, episode six, Lucky Strike. This is a great episode. This is a great episode. I breath of fresh air. It really was a little rocky season five. Something that the show I think has struggled with is when there's huge ensemble episodes, they have a hard time having like a core 
theme to it or like a core relationship story. And this episode certainly had that between Quinn and Daria. It's kind of the whole series has kind of been building up to this one moment where Quinn recognizes and acknowledges and states that Daria is her sister. Yeah, where she is proud of her. And, rec- and that it goes both ways. There's a moment of both of them in kind of like a, a indirect way acknowledging what they admire in the other person. Yeah, it's very sweet. So, uh, And you know I always love when we get a teacher-heavy episode. Oh, hell yeah. Mm-hmm. So this all begins with Principal Lee in her office. All the teachers are in there having an intervention about how they need to get a raise. And Principal Lee is like, but I just got you this new coffee maker. And automatically from the title and just from the situation, we realize that there is going to be a teacher strike. And fun fact, the writer's strike happened about six years after this. 2007 to 2008 one was fucking huge. Not the one we lived through. The one that the writers slightly older than us are like. But back in my day. Right. The, the ones like that the, one the writers that on this almost show. Almost ruined careers. Yeah. Yeah. And I am pro this teacher strike. For any reason or just uh, were you were you living in Chicago when they had the big teacher strike in Chicago? It was like two years before I moved here. And probably. Yeah. I left five years ago. Ooh, almost six years ago. Yeah. There, I had a couple friends in the Chicago public sis- public school system. And yeah, that one lasted quite a while. Your, your uh, high school buddies. Yeah, yeah. I had a, I had a couple. Friends they were like, it ele- was sick. We didn't have to go to school in eleventh grade. Who were like super <laughs> into it at the time. They they could like come out like and hang out way longer during the day, and yeah, it was chill. <laughs> oh God, I'm sounding too much now. Like the character Ms. in this episode, Mr. Edwards. Yeah, uh, Mr. Edwards, who's like, call me Ken. He they start by introducing him as kind of like this this younger teacher who probably like just graduated college and is like, you don't need textbooks. The only textbook you need is your soul. Um, But then we quickly find out that he is really into Tiffany and starts to stroke her hair. Right. And the whole reason this is happening is because of the strike. Miss Lee, instead of canceling school, just brings in substitutes. And um, the ones, the only two we see are Pedo Edwards Edwards, thank you and um an elderly woman named mrs stoller who doesn't get anyone's name right which you know to be fair mr o'neill could never remember daria's name that's true um but she treats the kids as if they're much younger and um yeah and mr edwards is like i don't know i just especially i feel like anyone who's had any experience in academia and in particular like an English department or like like has met a Mr. Edwards someone totally someone who's just so self-important and um is working on their great novel and their protagonist is clearly just an idealized version of themselves he's also writing a character who um I believe the quote was like he is a you know, a young man who wants to nurture the budding flower of a child woman to blossom. So it's, it, he's using extremely 
direct sexual language that of course goes over tiffany's head yeah and for someone who probably thinks he's such an intellectual the fact that he picks truly one of the dumbest people in the class to have a thing for is very telling like the like his mental intelligence is probably that much lower just by being into tiffany Right, and he's also immediately... She's like, what? (laughs) He also is projecting onto her a whole relationship that she's not even aware is happening. Oh, no, absolutely not. He's like, oh, I wanted to hear her call me Ken. It's all very gross, but like played off in a funny way. And so he gets fired because Helen is not taking this shit. Quinn, Quinn is back at the Morgendorfer house casually mentioning. And then he started stroking Tiffany's hair. And, she, and she's like, uh-huh. What, what? And, you know, fuck yeah, Helen. She's not going to stand for that. And immediately calls Miss Lee, gets him out of there. So then they have a new opening for a substitute. And again, I don't know why this is a thing in high school TV shows, but they employ Daria to be the substitute teacher. What else which, has that been in a thing? When Willow became the substitute teacher for Miss Calendar. Oh, right. That is, it was just that. so... In, in Buffy, Willow becomes the substitute teacher for Miss Calendar after she, you know. Womp but womp. it's just insane. Is born again. Yeah. But it's insane to me. I feel like it's more realistic in a college setting where you have TAs and RA. Like, you know, there's there's teacher-student There's less of a distinction between, like, the hierarchy because usually the TA is, like, also a student who's merely, like, a year or two older than you. But in this situation, it's just so – it's just so strange – that they would pull someone out of classes to do this. Yeah, it's certainly unheard of. And 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 I also, I mean, I understand it would have slowed down the story they were going for. But I was also surprised that Daria, I mean, they gave her that little moment where she was struggling with her shoulder angel, shoulder demon and trying to figure out if it's even something she should do. And it was framed as like, you could make Quinn's life miserable. That would be a pro. But I, I kind of expected Daria to resist a little bit more than she did. Yeah, but I but didn't wasn't the incentive that she could get out of Mrs. Stoller's class or something. So I think that was like her incentive to get out of being taught by that older woman. I guess it just that doesn't seem enough to me. It seems yeah. like, you know, we've we've set Daria up as trying to draw attention away from herself. Yeah. I, I did take this medieval literature class in college taught by truly the most boring man I've ever had to listen to speak. And I probably would have done anything to get out of that class. If they were like, we want you to teach a class, I probably would have been like, OK. Yeah, fair. I can I can imagine it as such. But anyway, she ta- she takes it. And uh, much to Quinn and the fashion club's distress, she's now the boss of them. And then Trent shows up at the protest, and it's really sweet. Mr. O'Neill convinces him to write a song for the protest, or more so write it together. And one of our one of our favorite moments was seeing the signs that Miss Barch designed. That was like a feminist march uh, poster. It was like yeah. the woman symbol mm-hmm. encircling a fist and had nothing to do with teacher salary or striking. But then the art teacher, whose name always eludes uh, eludes me asks Jane to help make signs. So then Jane also gets out of Mrs. Stoller's class. Um, But with this song, 
Trent and Mr. O'Neill end up writing it together and singing it together. And little piece of triv is that this is the only episode, aside from Daria reading uh, the song out loud in Speed Trapped, where someone else is singing Trent's lyrics. Wow, it really says a lot about Trent's trust in Mr. O'Neill. Yeah, that was a very... I mean, I guess I forget that Trent went to that high school as well because I just see him as someone who probably dropped out and probably dropped out as like a sophomore. But I guess it would make sense that Mr. O'Neill would remember him. But again, going back to what you said about Mr. O'Neill, like not really remembering people's names, it is surprising that he would remember Trent. But also maybe Trent was like, you know how in school you had like that kind of burnout kid who was actually like very smart but they just didn't apply themselves i feel like that could have been trent especially in an english class setting yeah and he has a poetic sensitive soul that i think would resonate with mr o'neill and um and also the lanes have many children and we're to understand that jane i believe is the youngest Mm -hmm. so i think maybe there's been so many lane children that maybe mr o'neill is just familiar with the whole deal um, but either way, it's it's a sweet a sweet rapport between them this episode. I was hoping for a little bit more sexual tension between Miss Barch and Mr. O'Neill in light of his rise as a musician. Yeah, we haven't really seen much of what's been going on with Miss Barch and Mr. O'Neill. I hope sadly. they're okay. I'm sure they are. I mean, maybe they've they've reached this point in the relationship where they're so secure and so happy that we almost don't have to visit it that much. Right. The type of love that stories aren't written about basically. Yeah. So now we're in Daria's class and everyone in, it must be like a, like a sophomore or like junior class or something because it's everyone that's kind of like in Quinn's grade, but everyone there is incredibly blank faced. They don't even remember what they're reading, which turns out to be Romeo and Juliet. Quinn is the only one who's actually taking notes. And that makes Sandy very, like, grossed out by it. And she starts to prod Quinn about how it's, like, weird that she's letting this this person that she knows who's teaching the class influence the way that she even, like, cares about this class. It's just, like, a putting Quinn in, like, this uncomfortable situation where she feels like she has to justify why she's taking notes in class right and they still you know don't they still call her like that girl you know and simultaneously sandy wants to give quinn shit for changing her behavior due to the fact that she knows daria but then also wants to take advantage of it because she's like i hope this isn't going to change how the popular kids are treated like implying that there should be some favoritism and that quinn should put in a word to make sure that the popular kids are given a pass. Right. Because there's a test tomorrow about Romeo and Juliet. And so, yeah. So like what you said, basically if the test is too difficult, then Sandy is kind of going to take it out on Quinn. But if the test is too easy, then Quinn is asking Daria to kind of bend her moral standards in this situation. And Daria and Tom talk about that. Tom is kind of helping her figure out what the questions should be for the Romeo and Juliet test. And she is kind of flummoxed in terms of like, do I make this a hard test? Do I not make this a hard test? I I really liked this line where 
Daria kind of compliments Quinn, and I think Quinn doesn't know how to take it, where she says, why are you going out of your way to protect the stupid? You're not one of them. Yeah, that was one of the moments that I saw as, like, Daria's nod to throwing Quinn a bone, which I also think is part of what brought about the beat change with Quinn, where she was, like, more invested and I think it, I think it's a little bit of a payoff. Like, I don't know if we hadn't had that episode with Quinn and the tutor. I don't know if she would be in this place in her self-development and maturity to be receptive to that. But we've seen her grapple with not dumbing herself down to be on par with her f- chosen friend group. And I think it probably means a lot to her that Daria perceives her as more intelligent than most people. Did you ever have a teacher that you felt like had this like negative vendetta against students or a a student in particular? I'm sure I did. Nothing jumps out in my mind. Why did you? Yeah. I mean, also, it's fresh in my mind because last night I introduced my girlfriend to teaching Mrs. Tingle, which is all about that, where Helen Mirren plays Eve Tingle, this horribly mean history teacher who has it out for uh, Katie Holmes's character who's basically just playing Joey Potter and Katie Holmes's character is number two in her class and she really needs this scholarship that this chick Trudy Tucker uh, is gunning for as well though she's like rich and doesn't really need it and she's number one in the class but the reason that they're number one and number two in the class and that it's kind of swapped is because Miss Tingle likes Trudy, but some for some reason hates Katie Holmes's character. It's an incredible film. You should absolutely watch it. But I definitely think that there was teachers in my school who like hated certain kids. Okay, sorry. I thought you were about to just leave it at that. Be like, yeah, I definitely personally know that of happening. Like Mrs. Tingle and Trudy yeah. and Katie Holmes as whatever her name is. No, no, no. I had a teacher, Mrs. Klingler, who was my Spanish teacher, who uh, my friend Alex was talking about in that testimonial where she had said that um, I'd gotten kicked out of Spanish class. I like I truly did try very hard in all my classes and I was exceptionally good in Spanish and I did like every single extra credit assignment that you could ever possibly try to do. But our teacher hated anyone that was like in a relationship. And so I was one of those like in a relationship and also a really good student. And so she I remember she hated me. She hated like this girl, Caitlin, that was a year older than me. But it was insane the way that she like treated me and the way that she treated arguably one of the the other most smart people in my class, Candace Quinn. Candace Quinn was kind of my Trudy Tucker in a way. I think you mean smartest. What did I say? Most smart. Most smart people in the class. One of the other smartest people. Yeah. Either way. (laughs) Doesn't help my case. I know. It's just like, anyway. But she used to like kick me out of class and she used to Like, it would be to the point where, like, I would raise my hand to answer something and she would be like, I don't want to hear from you. Do you think it was possible she saw in you something she had always wanted to be? Like, her own spoiled potential? Possibly, but also something that I learned of was that she was left at the altar, like, two years prior. Okay, I was going to say, I didn't want to, like, just make it... I didn't want to like reduce it to be just about her being bitter about a man, but unfortunately it sounds like that's exactly what it was. But it was, it was really a shame because 
I tried so hard in that class and I felt like because she didn't like me personally, it affected the way that she would grade me. I mean, I think I still ended up with like a B plus or like an A, but for the amount of extra credit or I like did, an A, but, but for the amount of extra credit that I did, like I, I can, I constructed entire games for the class to play and she like would let me lead them, but then she would like try and poke the holes in them. It was a very fun game that I created. It sounds like there was a power struggle between you two. It sounds like there's actually a lot going on here. And it'd be interesting to know her her side of the story. Maybe <laughs> we could I get her on the guest. Yeah, bring her on as a guest. Like she I, would be like, Brittany who? <laughs> or she'd be like, there was this girl who, when I was in my most depressed period of my life, would just make a point to you know, harass me and make it so clear what a bad <laughs> job I was doing by presenting other alternatives and and drawing the attention to herself and maybe like you were overcompensating for your queerness your that you were repressing and so maybe you were like very boy crazy and overt about your relationship i don't know not really i don't know i just would be curious maybe we could bring on we could have a a special episode with miss miss clinger as the guest and it'd be called tingling mrs clinger (laughs) ew (laughs) Oh, teaching Mrs. Klinger. <laughs> teaching Mrs. Klingler. Oh. <laughs> uh, and by the way, there is going to be another Britney High School testimonial after this episode. So Quinn is talking to her childlike father about Romeo and Juliet. And it's through correcting him that she realizes like, oh, I do know this. I am smart. I have studied this. I've got this. So when it finally becomes time to take the test, we see that Daria chose to make it an easy test. So she did choose to, you know, kind of bend her morals in this way to make it an easier test to appease Quinn. And the test is just an essay question. It's what is Romeo and Juliet about, which if anyone who was paying attention mildly in class they'd be able to answer this and nail it. Right. I was trying to test myself to see if I could take that test. And I think I probably would have gotten like a B. Like I probably wouldn't have remembered a lot of the main players, but I could probably. Oh, really? Yeah. Should we, should we try and take a... this test right now? Oh, man. I feel like I shouldn't have gotten this place. So but... there's uh, the Capulets. And, and the Montagues. And the Montagues. And a warring family or, you know, families in conflict. Yes. And it's clear that Romeo's side of the family is less wealthy than Juliet's and Juliet's parents want her to end up with Paris because that is kind of like family wise that is the guy that she should end up with and they throw this huge ball Mercutio is he the one that's killed yes by Tybalt right so that that's intensifying the conflict between uh and the rivalry between the families uh, so now it's like the stakes are like, not only can you not marry down mm-hmm. out of your class, but also this is the family that literally murdered. Right? Wait, is it someone from Juliet's family murdered someone in? Correct. Juliet's, okay. I believe, like cousin is Tybalt. Yeah. Murdered Romeo's best friend. Bestie. Yeah. And yeah, Romeo and Juliet fall in love when it's time for... Romeo Romeo kills Tybalt then, right? 
There's definitely at least one more death. Yeah. Romeo kills Tybalt and then Romeo um pre- not pretends, but he yeah, he like fakes his death in a way or it like doesn't kill him and then Juliet actually kills herself. It's like a um he takes poison. Yeah, like, but it's like supposed to only knock him out for a little bit. Right, but to the to the end of it's like he feels he can only be with Juliet if people think he's dead. Is that why it is? So it's like he's going to fake his death so that then he'll he'll reawaken and be able to be with her. Yeah. I, that's, I'm fuzzy in the logic there. Mm-hmm. Or if I'm misremembering that. And then Juliet finds him. And thinks that he's dead. Yeah. And so then, then kills, kills herself. herself. Yeah. And her body is, you know, strewn upon him. And then he wakes up and realizes she's dead and then kills himself. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that that would kind of be the answer. That would probably be like a B plus answer to like. I think it's probably the the answer that Quinn gave to earn her that B plus. Right, but I'm saying it 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 more so answers the question: what happens in Romeo and Juliet? Not what is it about? Mm, right, right, right. You know, so I feel like you could. Go. What is it about? I mean, it's about star-crossed lovers who, against all odds, find a way to love each other. Uh, even though all the odds are stacked against them, it's about you know falling in love with someone regardless of their class. Teen love. They were very young. Very young, yeah. They were like four, meant to be like fourteen and fifteen or something crazy. Um, something crazy. Can you imagine <laughs> kids the those days? Uh, but that was like when you know their lifespan was to like forty. So got to get it in, you know. Yeah, totally. So yeah, so Dari gives out the te- gives out the fi- the graded tests, and one part that I really liked from I can't remember if it was Jamie, Jeffy, or Joey, but in his essay question, it says uh, Dari gives it back and is like, "Oh, you thought Mercutio had a thing for Romeo," and Loves there was that a, just like a fun little like homoerotic moment that I was very into. But Quinn ends up getting a B plus, as I believe that Laura and I have gotten here as well. And Sandy starts to prod her about how she thinks that Quinn only got this good grade because Daria is the teacher. And Quinn says, I thought that she was fairly easing on the grading as long as you just thought critically about it. And she sticks up for Daria. And it's really sweet. And then Sandy finally thinks that she's like giving this blow of being like, "Wow, you like, you really act sisterly towards her. You're you're so nice to her. It's almost as if you're sisters or something." And then Quinn, very matter of fact, is like, "Yeah, why wouldn't I be sisterly towards her? Because after all, she is my sister." And Sandy's like, "Oh my God, everybody, did you hear?" And I love the moment that they wrote in of Stacy and Tiffany being like, "Yeah." They, like, live at the same house. Like, like we knew that. We were just being nice. Like, that was a bit we were doing, yeah. basically, is what is what uh, they implied. And then Quinn and Daria smile at each other. It was a really, really, really sweet moment. I loved that. I loved that so much. And, and uh, all the while, there's the teachers kind of dealing with the strike. And the rest of the teachers has, had sort of been willing to take Miss Lee's counter offer, which was pretty meager it was it was offering a 0.08 raise when they'd been asking for a 10 percent raise and mr Martino, to his credit is the one who really wants to stick to the contract that they had demanded and he kind of like 
has an in-office standoff with Miss Lee where they're just like gorging themselves on pizza and not sleeping. And it seems that he ends up being successful in getting her to sign the contract with the desired demands, just sort of like a, a battle of wills that he ended up winning. So the final moment of the episode is when Daria is in her room and Quinn approaches her and asks if she really did earn that B plus that Daria gave her. And they kind of talk in like this, this code that we're accustomed to now where they're giving each other these sweet compliments, but it's laced in sarcasm. Daria's like, well, if I, I, I mean, if I gave you a grade that you didn't deserve, that would be me being nice to you. And I certainly wouldn't be that. And so it's kind of her way of telling Quinn that she really did earn that and that she's proud of her even. Yeah, it, it, it was a very nuanced scene of Daria basically saying, I love you. But by being like, yeah, why would I be nice to you? You're just smart. Which, you know, again, is the thing that Quinn is always wanting to hear from Daria because Daria is always using her lack of intelligence and the people that she socializes with as the point of insult. And since Daria, you know, views intelligence as probably like the best quality that you can have, it was probably a really interesting experience for her to go into this class where Quinn might be one of the only intelligent people and for Quinn to kind of be like almost her her savior in that moment too, to realize that she is teaching someone who's listening and taking notes. It was probably such a... Uh, she probably just saw such a different side of Quinn as well. And they, they end that scene by saying, good night, sis. Or Quinn says that. No, it was so, so cute. <laughs> Great episode. Whoever wrote to us and said that this was one of their favorite episodes, I couldn't agree more, especially for this season. It's definitely the standout of the season. Yeah, and it's that nice combination of of humor and the, the dryness that we've come to know and love, but also with a little bit of heart. I think that honestly my favorite relationship in this show is the one between Quinn and Daria. And whenever they build upon that relationship and add more to it, I think that that's my favorite. I mean, I think my favorite storyline throughout the entire series is is Quinn coming into the fact, like coming into the identity of being an actually smart person. Yeah, it's really great to see her grow, baby girl. It's great to just watch someone vapid realize that they don't have to be mm -hmm. to be cool and be themselves. So I have this testimonial from my friend Ashley, who was one of my best friends in middle school and high school. And uh, yeah, she sent this and I'm interested to hear what Laura has to say. If I were to describe Brittany in high school, the first thing, honestly, that comes to mind is that she was super trendy. Like she... <laughs> Always had the newest Hollister Abercrombie clothes. Duh. She rocked a poof in her hair long before uh, Snooki was even on the map. So I would definitely credit her for that trend. Um, she was always down to have a good time. She didn't drink, but, you know, you want to drive two hours to go see a band play at a VFW in a town we've never heard of. Let's go. You want to TP and egg some people? My dad will be our getaway driver. Um, wow. So she was always, um, always down for a good time. She was always a writer. I remember her 
circulating this. I can't remember if it was high school or middle school, to be honest, but I remember like a newsletter that she would mm-hmm. circulate. Um, and honestly, she was just like a, a, a really nice person. She was just a good friend. She had this thing where she would kind of find an underdog or someone who didn't have the greatest reputation and bring them around and kind of make you see the best in them. And um, yeah, so that's how that's how I remember Brittany in high school. First of all, super chill voice. Ashley, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is a poof? Oh, I'll put a picture in Patreon. <laughs> My poof was... Wait, hang on. I actually probably could find something really quick. I don't know about that. I'm pretty open-minded to the Britneys of yesteryear. What the fuck? Okay, you gotta post this. <laughs> this I'm looking at an incredibly like self-tanned. This is like the straightest I've ever seen you look. I know. Both of these you gotta do. Is that is that like an attachment or is that your real hair? That was all my real hair. Okay, so it's like self-tanned Brittany, pearly white smile. Rocking some dyed dark hair, um, curled, and then kind of like a half up situation where there's a lot of body in the part that's pinned up. So it's very like what I think of as like a Texas mom hairdo. Um, Every day was prom. Yeah. And then this other one is like straightened, straightened bangs and then a straight version of the poof. Okay. Also, did uh, your friend Ashley know that the reason that you had the hottest Hollister and Abercrombie clothes is because you were crushing on your manager at the store? <laughs> that was chill as hell. I also like, she's like, she, she's down to have a good time. Like, she didn't drink, but mm-hmm. <laughs> same though. I didn't drink in high school. Yeah. It was a defining characteristic about me, I think. Like, did you, did you, did you identify as straight edge or was it just something you weren't experimenting with? It just wasn't something I was really into. I think I enjoyed having control over what I said and my actions and it just like really didn't appeal to me. Yeah, I get that. Yeah. I didn't get drunk for the first time until like I was almost done with high school. Yeah. And, and I wish I could, oh God, this would be gold if I could find this. But the first time I was ever drunk... Um, this is kind of relevant to podcast life. Uh, there was a radio, um, like a, a radio studio or like a, a sound studio on our high school campus where like you could put on student radio shows and they would be broadcast on like the school had their own like radio station. And my friends had a radio show called the lovely lady show. <laughs> and, um, the first time I ever got drunk, it was like when I was a guest on that and recording with them. How can you imagine if I could find that recording? I would die to listen to that. I got to go see if the, if the school has any archives of, of student programming. That would be unreal. It was me as, I believe, a junior with my friends Herbie and Allie. And I was a drunk guest, <laughs> but did, like, you know, trying to cover it. Totally. Wow. That'd be amazing. Thank you for listening to this episode of Sicker Sadder World. We've got some really cool shit on the horizon this week. 
Yeah, as in tomorrow. If you're listening to this on our release day of this episode, tomorrow is the first episode of Angel on Top. And Friday is the first episode of my new podcast, Don't Tell the Babysitter Mom's Dead. Yeah, there's so much content coming out this week. If you want to follow us on Twitter, we're at Sick or Sadder. And we have a Patreon for those of you who wish to support for this last stretch of Daria. Or we also have a Patreon for Angel on Top. So hopefully for those of you who have been incredible supporters and friends throughout this experience, hopefully you'll be joining us over on Angel as well.